Amen. And Lord, we love you. Lord, I don't do a lot of things right. I'm not a good driver. I can be rude and irritable when I'm hungry. I can say mean things to my kids. I can be real disrespectful and selfish. But Lord, in all of the mess, I love you. I pray that my heart is filled with more love for you, Jesus, than it was yesterday. I pray that as a people who would wholeheartedly love you, and in that love and affection, Lord, we would not zero in and focus in on our faults and our shortcomings, but on your glory and on your mercy and on your grace, and that, Daddy, we would be just like you. Fill us with your spirit today. Give us eyes to see not only ourselves, but others the way you see us and them. We look on the outside. We can't see the heart. Oh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for this wonderful place where we can gather and worship. I, I just ask, Lord, that you would bless abundantly all of the local churches that are that are praying right now and worshiping right now and studying your word. I, I just pray that there would be just a beautiful koinonia fellowship in this community of local ministries and churches, and believers. I pray that more and more your spirit would pour out on these communities, your gospel would spread, people's lives would be saved. You would transform us more and more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? I'm glad to see that most of us don't have the flu currently. Uh, maybe you do, and you're here just deciding to spread it to everybody. We really appreciate that. Uh, anybody have the flu this week so people can scoot away from you? Shouldn't raise your hand. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Plenty of sanitizer. Uh, it's, been a rough, it's been a rough season. Uh, I know it has been with the flu. Uh, and you know what's interesting is there, there's all kinds of sicknesses that can hit us, and they're not all viruses, but they can be sicknesses of the heart. And one of the issues that we've been talking about, really the, the issue we've been talking about, has been the issue of conflict and reconciliation. And, and uh, if you've been in any place that involves people for any length of period of time, you're going to recognize there's going to be conflict. And as we, we kind of meditate on that, let's open our Bibles and say, Word... We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We're picking up where we left off last week uh, in the parable, a series of parables actually that Jesus taught. Uh, as we think about this concept called reconciliation, what does it mean for us to seek out reconcili reconciliatory or reconciliation with people, with friends that we've, we've lost along the way in relationships? And uh, as I meditated on this, this concept this week, what came to mind is, is the moments in my home, and I don't know you as a parent or maybe as a friend or a grandparent, but... You live in, a, uh, you, in your life where someone might be looking up to you, and there's just these moments where my boys will look at me, and they'll be like, I, I want to be just like you, Dad. And I, and I can't, I mean, the, the, the emotion, the feeling, it, it's just so wonderful, and then I'll lock eyes with them, you know, and they'll lock eyes with me, and there's like this love, and it's a beautiful thing, and then they put on shoes that are way too big for them, you know, they clop around the house and Daddy's shoes, and they put on a jacket of mine that looks like a dress, a smock on them, and, you know, they copy daddy's mannerisms, some of the bad ones too, so, you know, you get kind of good and bad, and um, it's, very, it's very satisfying. 
And it's, it's revealed a component of my faith, and, it, and it's kind of highlighted something in my own heart that when I look at my Father in heaven, you know what, like, what's stirred in my heart is, Daddy, I, I want to be just like you. I want to be merciful like you're merciful. I want to be gracious like you're gracious. I want to be kind like you are kind. I want to be sacrificial like you are sacrificial. And as we turn back to this parable and from last week and really this overall flow of, of discussions of reconciliation, the role of forgiveness and all that, the, the deepest issue that we're going to have to wrestle with as people is who are, gonna, who are you going to be most like? You know, are we going to be most like our father in heaven? Or are we we going to be like the older brother? (laughs) And that may not make any sense to you right now uh, unless you know the parable. And and that's okay. It will make sense here in just a few minutes. We've been on this this journey of reconciliation as I've recognized as a pastor and as a ministry that there are relationships that have fractured uh, over the years. And, and, And we need to be way better at handling conflict as a ministry and as, as people individually, because what conflict does is it leaves like a sticky residue. I don't know if you've ever smoked or known somebody who smoked, but if you've ever been around cigarette smoke, it, it like coats things and it like leaves a sticky residue. Conflict is very similar. It coats relationships, it coats friendships, it coats uh, like communities. Like you can even walk into places that are filled with, and you can just sense it. It's because it's that residue, it's sticky. And we'll watch like as, as marriages will fracture and friendships will fracture and there's like deep Christian relationships where once they were surrounding the table, having communion and praying together and in fellowship together, then all of a sudden the relationships are fracturing. And we look at that as people and we go, well, I guess that's normal. And it is very normal. I mean, it's a very normal process. Uh, apart from the Holy Spirit, it's very normal for people to fracture and conflict and to separate and to never see each other, fight or flight. That's very normal. But we're not supposed to be normal, are we? In fact, we're supposed to live a very abnormal life, like, like distinct, like citizens of a kingdom of, of God, a kingdom of heaven, that like we, we operate under a different ethic. We operate under a, a different moral structure and, and ethical paradigm and, and our relationships and our families and our homes and our church. It, it should be different, shouldn't it? And I think we all know that, that it should be, should be much different. And so what does it look like for us to be a ministry and a people that handles conflict? Well, here's the verses that have gripped my heart, will not let them go. And I hope this gets a hold of your heart, your life. Because we're looking at reconciliation in two directions. We have to first look at the past. And I think, family, this is for all of us. We all need to look at the past. Like, look at the relationships. Are there any relationships that are fracturing? Or is there any level of conflict that hasn't been resolved? We need to seek out reconciliation with those relationships. But we also need to be looking forward to put in place a foundation so that there's like a roadmap to follow when there's inevitable conflict. Because, by the way, there's going to be conflict. Okay, there's going to be conflict in this building. There's going to be conflict in uh, our life groups. There's going to be conflict in the Sunday morning gatherings. There's going to be conflict in men's ministry and women's ministry. There's probably conflict in here right now. There are probably people in here right now who see another. You could probably look over at that person right now. And if you see them walking down the hallway, walking down the hallway, you're like, oh, I chose the wrong hallway. <laughs> Apparently, I'm going to go this way, right? I mean, I know there's no conflict in here, right? Husbands, wives, friends, family, okay. We need to have a better foundation going forward because conflict is inevitable. And if you're looking for a place that doesn't have conflict, you want to know where that's at? Heaven. And it's going to be sweet. But we ain't there yet. So Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 23 and 24, verses that have just been, gosh, just grabbing a hold of my heart. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, what's in view here? What's the picture? And I know I told you to turn to Luke. Just quickly turn to the left and to Matthew. That's all right. Scroll there on your phone, however you get there in the scriptures. So if you're offering your gift, what's in view? What's going on here? Sacrifice? Worship. I think that's a good way of describing this, right? So you're coming to, to offer your gift on the altar. That is worship. It's some type of sacrifice. And, and at that moment, we think to ourselves, the most important thing that we're doing at that moment is worship. But then God goes, whoa, 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 hold on a second. See, this has messed up my paradigm. I thought I could have jacked up relationships and still come to the altar and be cool. Like, I literally, that was my paradigm. I thought that it was okay, that it was normal for there to be these fractured and hurting relationships, and I could still come to God, and it was like, he wouldn't see that. (laughs) But he sees that. And you there remember that your brother has something against you. It could be sisters, some type of familial relationship. So what does that mean? What does it mean to have somebody has something against you? What is that? Grudge, hurt, conflict, friction, something. You scuffed their shoes, they scuffed your car, I don't know, whatever it is. And then we're told to do something with that. We don't just go, well, Lord, I'm really sorry that that person has something against me. Now, here's my gift. No, he says, go. And if you have the NIV, it it actually reveals the immediacy and the flow and the thrust. Immediately leave your gift before the altar and go that somehow in God's economy, worship ain't right until the relationship is right, which is crazy. First be reconciled to your brother, your sister, your family member, whoever it is, and then come and offer your gift. Go and seek reconciliation. And so that is exactly what we're doing. Uh, We're having this ongoing conversation of of reconciliation, and we're we're having to find a better model, because when I look around, I'm like, who is the model? Who's going to model for us reconciliation? I can't think of anybody better than God, right? Because he's like in the business of forgiveness and reconciliation, isn't he? How many of y'all have enjoyed that, that ministry of God in your life? I love that. I love being forgiven. I love being reconciled to God. I love knowing that I'm at peace with God. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? Think about how freeing that is. And if we're going to model anyone, let it be him in our life, because there is no greater example. And I will say this, in and through the Holy Spirit, we are literally at our most powerful. Okay, So when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are at our absolute most powerful, even though we might feel like we're at our weakest. We turn back to probably the most well-known parable, my, oh, maybe the parable of the Good Samaritans, more known, but this is one of the most known parables that Jesus ever spoke. It was prompted by a group of self-righteous, oh gosh, I want to use stronger language, self-righteous religious people. I don't want to tilt anybody's halos too much. They could not figure out why this Jesus was the rabbi to the rabble. Like they couldn't figure this out. Why did he hang out with those types of people? What, what use would God have with those types of people? And they voiced that type of self-righteousness. I mean, Jesus kept spending time with them and eating with them, unclean, holy, unholy sinners. And I've mentioned this concept a few times. Please listen to this. It's common, very, very normal. In fact, we all probably do it. I can't say we all. Maybe some of us. No, we all do this. We have a tendency as humanity to inflate. Everybody say inflate. Okay. Our own personal virtue. 
So like we start to focus and zero in. We are pretty good people, right? Like I am pretty giving and I'm pretty loving and I'm pretty forgiving, whatever the, whatever the view of ourselves. And at the same time, we have a tendency to inflate, everybody say inflate, other people's faults. They really are pretty jacked up. You know what I mean? So in one sense, we're like inflating our own virtue. And at the same time, we're inflating the faults of another. And what happens is we find ourselves separated from them, but we also find ourselves separated from the Father, which is exactly why Jesus tells these series of parables, because that is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were inflating their own virtue, and they were inflating the faults of those around them. And we do it almost naturally. It is horribly toxic to all sorts of relationship. And we need to realize that the lenses that we look through are so distorting. There are times where it's like the, 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 the plank speck syndrome. Like we see the, the speck in somebody else's eye, but we've got this big giant telephone pole sticking out of our own face. We can't help anybody else, but we think we're out there fixing everybody else's problems. Thinking they were superior, they were actually separating themselves, not only from these sinners, but from the Father. So Jesus tells a story. Now, it's a story of a, how do I want to describe him? A very significant sinner. Okay, so like, he really went off the deep end. Like, left the res, guy's totally in sin. And that often becomes the focus. We're like, here's this guy who completely begins to wallow in unbelievable sin of like staggering proportions, his like quick and precipitous decline from exalted son to being this like sin-sick sinner wallowing around in pig slop. And then his ultimate awakening and his, his seeking out of reconciliation, we go, that's the point of the parable. That's not the point of the parable. The point of that is just the canvas. God paints this canvas with this person's life so that he can display the, the heart of the father in contrast with the heart of the son. And I'm going to tell you right now, we are either going to be modeling in our earthly relationships the heart of the father or the heart of the son. Verse 11, Luke chapter 15. Now we're in Luke. Let's flip to the right to Luke. Okay. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. How many sons? Excellent. And the younger of them said to his father, so who is speaking? Excellent. We're tracking. Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now it's hard. Well, no, it's not hard for us to see. This is an absolute slap in the face. The most disrespectful thing this son could do. It'd be like one of your children walking up to you and going, hey, mom, hey, dad, you're eventually going to die. So in view of you eventually dying, why don't you just go ahead and give me my inheritance now? Parents, what is your response? Someone's going to die, but it ain't me. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd be homicide up in this place. <laughs> Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he does it in this parable. He divides the property between them. Not many days later, at an insult to injury, the son packs up this chunk of property, converts it into currency, and goes off on a journey to a far country. And there he does what? Squanders it. He just scatters it around in reckless living. Someone give me a description of reckless living. All the stuff that's fun. I know none of you believe that or live that. I mean, it is, right? Isn't it? The party life, the, the sin life, it seems like so much fun. I could never figure out why everyone was laughing at the bar. Everyone's laughing. What are we laughing about? What's so funny? 
We're all wearing a mask. We're hoping to find something. It's not here. There's no source of satisfaction, life, abundance, nothing. Yet we're all laughing. Oh, it's so much fun. Anyway, he spends everything. Verse 14. I've seen this. Oh my gosh, I saw this guy one time. Madeline and I had gotten a, a weekend at a, at a casino, uh, which is exactly where you want your pastor hanging out. Um, <laughs> yes, 10 in the flock. I'm absolutely terrible at gambling, by the way, and so that's why I don't do it, because I lose every time. Not only am I a bad driver, a bad gambler. Anyway, I'm sitting there, I'm watching a guy, he's at a blackjack table. Never seen anything like it before. And he's just hand after hand, hitting, 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 hitting. And I'm going, whoa, this guy is amassing quite a fortune. They change dealers. I immediately, I'm like, that's probably not a good thing. So I'm watching him, and then his stack of chips just goes. And then all of a sudden, I see him do this, which is usually a good sign, right? Literally pulls his pockets out and stumbles away. That's exactly what happened to the son. It was gone, totally gone. Spent everything, and then it gets worse because then a severe famine hits the country. He begins to be in need. So he goes and hires himself out. He literally enslaves himself to one of the citizens just for sustenance, and he can't even get that. Sends him out in the field to feed pigs, and uh, no one gave him anything. And you know what we think to ourselves when we read this? We're like, he got what he deserved, don't we? Isn't there something in us that like, when somebody like makes really bad decisions and their life's just like, and we're like, they get what they deserve. Don't we feel kind of superior in that moment? Am I the only one? Oh. But that's not the point of the parable. Always becomes the focus. Next verse, 17. So the son comes to his senses. He comes to himself, he says, self, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? Like he's thinking through it, he's like, even my father's servants fare better. Better. How good is this father? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I'll go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and, and he came to his father. And what's fascinating, what prompted his repentance, by the way? Do you see it? His tummy. Okay? Y'all see that? Like, he, he goes, I've sinned against heaven and against earth and against you. And, and the point is, it's not about the repentance of the son. Again, this is all just a canvas so the father's heart can be displayed, which we pick up at the end of verse 20. Here is the father's heart. Listen to this. He's coming to his father. What is the father doing at this moment? He's scanning the horizon. Does he have a ledger in his hand? That kid owes me big. You know what I mean? Like, how are you responding when you see that person and they owe you? You're like, hold on a second. Let me tally this up here real quick. You are in debt. He's like, he's not, there's no ledger. What's the most important thing to the father at this moment? His son. He sees him a long way off. His father saw him. He felt compassion. He ran, embraced him, and he kissed him. When do you think the father forgave the son? I think the father forgave the son before he even split the inheritance. I think the father lives in such a spirit of forgiveness that he forgives before the sin's even committed. But for us to walk in that forgiveness, we must first repent of it and return. 
I mean, what would it be like if we literally lived in such a spirit of forgiveness, so radically filled with the Holy Spirit, that before somebody even does us wrong, they're already forgiven? That would be rad. Verse 21, the heart of the son. He has this long rehearsed speech. He gets part of the way through it. The son said him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It is fascinating to me how often we believe that our worth or our value as a son or a daughter is based on our behavior. Worth has nothing to do with it. None of us are worthy. Sonship and daughtership, yep, just made up a word, daughtership, it's, it's not based upon our behavior. It's based upon the heart of the Father. My sons are my sons. There's, worth has nothing to do with it. There's never going to be a time where based upon behavior, they stop being my sons. He is returning home. The father has longed most for his son. His immediate declaration is simple. This is my son. He's fully restored. Listen to this, fully restored relationship. Verse 22. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. By the way, the fatted calf was preserved for great celebrations. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. That is Jesus' heart. That is the heart of Jesus on display. That is what he's saying to the Pharisees. You accuse me of eating with these people and seeking them out. Oh, we celebrate because they're lost. Now they're found. They're dead. Now they're alive. Their rags are being removed. They're being wrapped in royal robes. A ring of righteousness and fellowship is on their hands, shoes on their feet. And we celebrate. How many of you love this? You love being a prodigal. Come on. We're all prodigals, aren't we? I love that. You know, I very rarely read this parable and go, you know what? I am really like the Pharisees. I'm really like the older brother. But this is really the thrust of the parable. Here's where it hurts. Because I believe that we all might have a little bit of the older brother in us. And that older brother in us is completely inconsistent with the will of God in our life. And is completely inconsistent with the Holy Spirit in our life. The older brother. We've seen the heart of the Father. It's beautiful. We love it. Oh, gosh, I love it, being forgiven. Now, his older brother was in the field. Verse 25. What is the older brother doing? He's working. I got a feeling in this parable, Jesus is tell it, telling it in such a way to show that the older brother is trying to show his superiority over the younger brother. Look how hard I work while this, this wayward son squanders. So he's out in the field. And he came and drew near the house and he heard music and dancing. And he goes, that's weird. Because if there's anybody to celebrate, if there's anybody to honor, who do you think the son thinks needs to be honored? Himself. Remember, he's inflated his virtue. So he's a pretty good guy. And he hears music and he hears dancing. So he called to one of his servants and he said, hey, hey, bro, what do these things mean? I don't know what, like, how to describe like, what's about to happen in this moment in verse 27. All kinds of vulgar thoughts are going to be going through this guy's mind. Look at verse 27. 
And the servant said to him, oh, well, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. How do you think the older brother is responding at this moment? <laughs> he's about to go crazy. You're serious? My, my brother? Who's that? See, in his mind and in his heart, that brother's dead. He is as good as gone. Who cares that he came back safe and sound? And with each burst of laughter, each melodious note, he's becoming angrier and angrier to the point now he's not only distant from his brother, he's distant from his father and the joy of his father. Look at verse 26 or 28. He was angry and he refused to go in. Why do you think he refused to go in? He's passing up a party. His father came out and treated him. He remains now outside the father's joy and unforgiveness of his brothers. He's now growing distant from the father. Look at his description. Gosh, this inflation of his virtue. He answered the father, look, these many years, oh, I've slaved away. I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, even though he's disobeying his father's command at the moment. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Sounds like a little kid. Stomping his feet. And so you got this son. He's in, in, inflating that virtue. Look at all I've done for you. I'm the good son. You should celebrate me. I mean, it's interesting because at times we can get so mad at people, we think God's mad at them too. You ever do that? Like you think to yourself, they're probably not even a believer. If I hate them, God hates them too. I'm so glad God does not see people the way we see them sometimes, the way I see them. Verse 30, listen how he inflates his faults. But when this son of yours, he can't even say he's his brother. When this son of yours, he's not only questioning the virtue of the younger son, he's questioning the heart of the father. He devoured your property with prostitutes. There's no mention of prostitutes. There probably were, but he's inflating faults. You killed the fatted calf for him. I want you to hear this. I want to I read this to you. At this moment, not only does the older brother view himself as morally and ethically greater than his brother, we see through this entirely inappropriate indictment, he's also viewing himself morally and ethically superior to the father. That's the jacked up part. We start to view ourselves as ethically above others, and even our estimation is above God. And it separates us. And here's the punchline, verse 31. Son, you're always with me. All that I have, all that is mine, it's yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. And what's crazy to me is the older brother here is pictured as being close to the father. And this is the thing that's really starting to I don't know how to describe this. What is it doing? It's breaking my heart. He's in close proximity to the father. But the father's not rubbing off on him. And then I start thinking about it as believers. Sometimes those who have been closest to the father, 
for the longest period of time. Y'all get where I'm going here? Should I go there? Sometimes the longer that we're with or the longer that we're in relationship with God or the closer we are supposedly to the Father, sometimes the more unforgiving and unmerciful. What's going on there? This older son, close to the father, but the father's heart had not rubbed off at all. It's troubling to me because I believe that the longer we walk with the Lord, the more that his heart is in us, the more that we should be like, Daddy, I want to be just like you. So the question we have to ask ourselves when it comes to reconciliation, whose heart is on display in our life? The heart of the father or the heart of the older brother? Choose A or B. A or B. A, I give you more of the roadmap of reconciliation, or B, you get to lunch earlier. Then don't blame me for going long. Here's the roadmap that we're working on. And what's cool about this is by the time this series is done, we have a foundation going forward. We literally have a roadmap of reconciliation to walk. So if you have a conflict with somebody else or maybe marital or relational conflict, and what's incredibly cool is if both people walk the road at the same time, it's a little messier than that, but here's this roadmap that we're developing, and I'm going to give it to you in pieces. Here's a little bit more than you got last week. Write this down, take a picture, however you want to save it, but keep this stuff. Okay, first, you cannot make a person reconcile with you. You can't do it. You can't force somebody. You can't browbeat somebody into reconciling with you. The father couldn't force the son. But he sure had a foundation already laid. I believe that foundation was forgiveness. If you are seeking something in return, it's not reconciliation. So when you walk up to somebody and you go, I'm sorry. Oh, you're not going to say you're sorry? Do you know how wrong you are? I know we never do that. But if we're seeking something in return, that's not reconciliation. Reconciliation prioritizes possessions over relationships. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't do that. Reconciliation prioritizes the relationship. Reconciliation does not prioritize who's right. It doesn't prioritize who's wrong. It doesn't prioritize possessions. It prioritizes relationship. This relationship is the most important thing to me. Okay, first step. You must first forgive them. Tough stuff, McGruff. A a gal asked me after first service, tears streaming down her face. How do I do that? My ex-husband was horrible to me. Hurt our children, hurt me, just weeping. And I looked at her, and I'm starting to tear up. I'm saying... You are loved. It's a process. This is not artificially, they're forgiven. This is a process. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to lessen it. There is no justification anywhere in the scriptures for us harboring unforgiveness towards anyone. 
we have been forgiven at such a staggering rate that we're to forgive in like manner, but it's a process. And I'm not going to artificially tell you when that process is done, but you'll know. When they owe you nothing, that is freedom. And I will pray that God gives you that. It's a great place to be. But we must first forgive. So if you're going to somebody to seek a debt to be paid, it's not going to end well. Secondly, you must seek them out. No, we'll talk about that next week. You must seek them out. In Matthew, in the parables, we see the seeking. The heart of the Father is seeking. If you're waiting for that person to call you, write you, knock on your door, send you the email, you are waiting for a check from the IRS because you overpaid on your taxes, which never is going to happen. It's not going to happen. Dear Mr. So-and-so, or Mrs. So-and-so, we're happy to inform you that you overpaid, and we're so gracious, we're going to send it back. That's about what you're waiting for. How many of y'all think that's going to happen? Never going to happen. You have to seek out those relationships. It's the heart of the Father. And then I'm going to give you this third one. I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to let you wrestle with it. You can get all mad at me later. Be willing to confess and ask for forgiveness. This is where we stop inflating our own virtue and inflating their faults. This is where we start to see ourselves with sober judgment, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, and we're willing to admit our wrongs and confess our failings. Sometimes we're like, what could I possibly have to apologize for? Go back to step one. All right, let's pray. Lord, it is really hard. Father, there are some relationships that I have really been wrestling with. And honestly, I would love to let them go. But I'm so grateful that you, Father, you don't behave that way. Jesus, if you treated relationships the way I treat relationships sometimes, heaven would be empty. But you seek us out and you love us. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, please hear me. You are separated from the goodness and love of the Father. But he is scanning the horizon, man, and he is waiting for you. The Bible says that all who believe, all who trust in Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he was buried and he's risen, he is alive. All who say, Lord Jesus, save me. We're picked up and carried. Rags are taken off. A righteous robe filled with the Holy Spirit. Saved. If you desire to have that relationship with God the Father in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried and I believe you've risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. I want to be right with the Father. To which the Father says, welcome home, son or daughter of God. Maybe right now you're carrying some real heavy weight towards a person. And you cannot figure out how to forgive them. God, you are the God of the impossible. You raise the dead. You part seas. You feed the hungry. You set in place eternal life. And power you heal sickness. I believe in that same Holy Spirit due to my power. You can give 
each and every one of us the power to forgive. Lord, fill us with that spirit of forgiveness. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand.